Hey guys, it's us again. My name is Samantha Nzessi. Yo, it's your one and only Ramoy George Philip the first. And this is masculinity. Look, it's it's almost spring. The sun's come out. It's starting to warm up. It did Fake snow last spring. week. But I'm just so ready to play basketball. I'm just out there to get on the courts, cut them up. Yo, like, and like kids out there are so young and cocky these days, and they're just airing three balls like a friend Steph Curry. <laughs> I'm ready to show what? them how to play uncle basketball. Just get them down in the post. Just rock them right, rock them left. Hook shot. Mm. I'm good. I'm trying to play some tennis, actually. I like... For those who don't know, tennis is one of the hardest sports, if not one of, if not the most challenging sport I've ever played, and you could possibly play. I think. I actually uh, have a mean volley, pretty mean volley. If you ever find yourself across the net from me, just remember that. You know what I mean? I don't want to find myself across the net. I don't want to lose. <laughs> like I'm, I don't want to get destroyed in tennis and then just me lose my shit. Yeah, you know. Actually, since we're talking about you know the sports i do think that one of the worst things that can possibly happen to somebody is for them to get dunked on i just feel like that's got to be like i mean it's obviously not the worst thing that can happen to someone but damn especially in like the twitter instagram age where everybody's just like sharing the videos and liking everybody getting just fucking posterized i know it's not a good look and getting just like which means that there's probably less defense out there like you see some like lebron or somebody barreling through the room you're like nah i'm just gonna get out of the way right. I don't wanna be on the ground that's i mean that's what i would do shit anyway hey so we're actually talking about masculine um and actually there's one thing that i did want to talk about because so blackish the the latest episode of blackish had rainbow's family comes right and like a lot of her family is white and so, and her mom is like hardcore feminist, right? And so, you know, there's, there's at one point there are people making people's plates. So Diane makes Jack's plate. Um, Rainbow makes Dre's plate. Jack and and Rainbow, I mean Jack and um and and Dre are sitting on the couch waiting for the plates to be made as usual. And then a whole thing goes down where they're like, you can't be making man's plates. You know what I'm saying? It's 2018. You can't be making man's plates. Which I relate to because I was like, why would I have to make your plate? I mean, I always made my father's plate, but, you know, he gave me life and shit. So, um, And there was this nice moment at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, where um, I believe it was Rainbow's aunt who said, you know, I would always make a plate for your uncle. It was some, It was one of the relatives because as a black man, he was treated like shit, basically, on the outside world. So it was important for me to, and for him, that when he came home, he was treated well. And that's why I would make a plate for him. I thought that was really interesting. You know, it was cute. It was a cute moment, and I was, and I couldn't help but think. I was like, how are you treated in the outside world? Who's making your plate? Like, I'm sorry, but that thought came across my mind, and I don't think that I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking it back. That's how I feel. No, I mean, I think it's like isolated, like isolating those incidents. Yeah, it is like that's that's a very profound idea. But like, what about you? And like, where's the reciprocity? If there's reciprocity across the board, whether it's like, you know, one human makes this other's human's plate for dinner. But, you know, one person, the other person take rubs the other person's shoulders every night. Sure. I mean, we don't right. see everything. That's but true. We don't. Isolating these <laughs> incidents is hard. But, you know, there is this practice, at least within other older cultures in the old world where the women always made the plate for the men and the men kind of just sat back and relaxed 
And it's after the woman toiled to make the food and then not be thanked graciously and kindly for that said food and the said plate. So I totally feel you. So, you know, we've been we've been having a lot of these conversations this season on this show. We've talked a lot about how patriarchy is debilitating to men as well as women, about how men have limiting parameters within which they can express themselves, like which many times is either anger or contentment. And that's it. It's been helpful to see, you know, how these systems tie individuals down and how we can play a part in giving compassion to loosen those really tight ties. We've also talked about how patriarchy so easily enables men's entitlement, really. More specifically, entitlement to women's bodies, how men own women's bodies and they are for our possession. And how whether we we like it or not, there are ways that we can be, all of us, complicit in enabling that entitlement. So today, we are going to have a look at one of those ways that entitlement manifests, which I think is probably experienced everywhere, and that is street harassment. Yeah, so I actually have a little story about, um, you know, street harassment, actually, and it was, you know, right now we're, we're in New York, we're dealing with that weird temperature where it's, like, kind of warm and kind of cold, so it's, like, the in the beginning, I mean, both of you guys know this, I'm talking to listeners, you know, in the beginning of the day, you, like, walk out and you're, like, sweaty from your shower, so you have to, like, take off your scarf, take off your coat, then at the end of the day, you're, like, super happy that you brought your coat. But anyway, what that looks like for me, because I'm a lot warmer than most individuals, is like I'm always walking around with my coat open and I don't wear a scarf. And I'm wearing just like whatever. I mean, this is really what I'm wearing. But I'm dressed really casually and I'm wearing a coat last week. And I'm going down the stairs trying to catch this train. And I just hear, you know, she got some nice titties. Like, hella loud. And it was like one of those things where I was like, I was like, focus on where I was going so I the only thing I could tell that it was somebody who was like youngish right not that that matters but it was one of those things where I was so mad because I didn't say anything I was like focused on where getting where I needed to go but I was really I was mad I was like I wanted to like say like shut the fuck up or mind your business or fuck you or whatever it was but I didn't say anything and I felt bad and I, and I, I, I was mad that I didn't say anything Cause that, it made me feel like I felt complicit in my own harassment, and it's like, how can you be complicit in being harassed when you're on your way down to the train and somebody had to say something about your body parts? I don't know. It, it kind of put me in a weird in a weird position. Anyway, so I we're we're gonna get into street harassment today. I could talk about it, um, you know, with some depth, and so uh, we're really excited to have Anthonine. Pierre, do you see Antonine or Anthonine? Antonine. Antonine. Yeah, the H is silent. It's a H for Haiti. Oh. <laughs> just kidding. That's it's cute. just H's are it's just, just silent H. in French. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Deputy Director at the Brooklyn Movement Center. Um, so I guess, can you just start by telling us a little bit about Brooklyn Movement Center? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Brooklyn Movement Center is a community-based organizing group in Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights, which collectively we refer to as Central Brooklyn. And, you know, I feel like when people think about community organizing, they often first think about the issues. They think about street harassment or like right now there's a lot of national conversation around gun violence or um, police brutality. And what I, what I really love about BMC is that our starting point for community change and conversation is the community itself. It is 
thinking about leadership, it is thinking about social justice work, and it is thinking about just a broad vision of how we want our neighborhood to look and how we want people to be treated and how we want what kind of access we want people to have, which is like full access to everything. Um, and when we when we look deeper into our work, we obviously work on multiple issues. I shouldn't say it's obvious that we work on multiple issues, but we do work on multiple issues. And the idea is that if we are devoted to a neighborhood, if we are devoted to developing really strong social justice leadership that's gonna be able to withstand all kinds of oppression, then we do need to be able to work on multiple issues if we would really want to be transformative. So in Central Brooklyn, what that looks like is the work that we do around police accountability, around gendered and sexualized street harassment, around food justice, around media. We actually have a podcast too, which is really cool. Woo. Yeah, and um, and also I'm like I always forget one. Environmental justice is also um, an area of work, which is is also I mean they're all really exciting areas of work, but environmental justice in in particular is one where it's just really hard to find voices of color. And I shouldn't say hard to find, but that voices of color, the work that people of color do is really not amplified. You often hear about white people doing environmental justice work. Today we're going to focus on street harassment. And I want to, can you just repeat that phrase, the gender? Gendered and sexualized street harassment. So it's important that we name street harassment in that way, particularly in the context of BMC, because when we say street harassment, we also do police accountability work. So people will often think that we mean police harassment. Oh, nice. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say what's on my mind. I feel like as a woman, when you hear street harassment, you're just like, yeah, dudes who fucking harass you on the street. So... Okay. <laughs> you're like, All so right. what's the deal? Okay. Yeah, I'm I mean, like... but I at the time that we started doing this work, which was in 2013, mm -hmm. there, the the political climate in 2013 was really gearing into what we know what we know became Black Lives Matter. So there was already a lot of energy around um, police work, and specifically in New York City, the conversation was around stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the context of stop and frisk. Uh, the idea that you say street harassment, that it could have all these different connotations, is it seems really plausible. And I had the same experience as you, that I was, I don't even know how old I was, I must have been like maybe 20 or something, and I was um, online and I somehow stumbled across uh, Stop Street Harassment, and I was like, oh, I know what that is, that's been happening to me for mad years. <laughs> like it, it was a click, it was like, oh, obviously I, I understand what, what they mean by street harassment. So you're not alone in how you feel and stop and frisk kind of like change the community safety game. Um, so can you say a little bit about how, like how did it come about for you to be fighting street harassment? Yeah, so we were, we, it was really interesting. So it was, um, I was organizing at the Brooklyn Movement Center and we were doing what we do as organizers, which is having lots of conversations with people in the neighborhood about what issues they saw and what, what places they wanted to make change. And we just, me and uh, one of my coworkers who's no longer with us, her name is Marley Pierre-Louis. I mean, she's like alive, but she lives in Amsterdam. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not, sorry, sorry to be so dramatic, folks. But um, we were having lots of conversations with people and an issue that kept coming up um, was that women kept saying that they were being followed while walking from a particular street, um, from walking from a particular 
train station, we were having conversations with men who were saying that they would like go meet their wives and girlfriends at train stations mm -hmm. to walk them home. We were having conversations with gender nonconforming people who were saying they didn't feel safe to walk the streets after parties. And we had all of these conversations and this was maybe, this was fall of maybe 2012. We were kind of sitting in the office and we were like, man, street harassment is horrible. And Marley had done some, some anti-street harassment work in the past. And we were like, what, like, I wish we could do something. We were like, yeah, we're organizers and we work at this organization. <laughs> and there are two of us, which means there could be more of us <laughs> and we could do this work. So we really just started by, we started very slowly. I think when you work for a community-based organization and there are lots of balls in the air and you have to think very strategically about your work and your capacity, you don't, you can't just decide, okay, today we're gonna work on something. Even though I think sometimes it seems like that when we look in the media. Mm -hmm. So we, we sat down and we were like, great, let's figure out who's doing this work. Let's be strategic. Let's think about who could be, who could partner with us, who could be allies, who could be members in this work. And we just started having conversations with folks that who we had heard of doing street harassment work. Um, and it just came together. I mean, we worked with a bunch of folks who were really interested, some a lot of whom had already done anti-street harassment work. And we said, okay, great, let's define street harassment. That's where we came up with gendered and sexualized street harassment to be really clear. And then we said, great, like, let's, you know, what's our theory of change? What are we trying to do in this neighborhood? How are we going to do that? What are the best methods? And for us, we really wanted to create a culture in central Brooklyn where people who are being harassed feel safe. Um, and that's a culture where people are looking out for each other. That's a culture where people who, who do harassment are called out, but also a way in which people who do harassment also um, have the opportunity to learn a better way. And I say that because we sometimes like we sometimes think about harassment and sexual assault in general as, oh, like these people, um, we need to dispose of these people. They can't, right? Like they can't be a part of what we do. And through a lot of our conversations, what we recognize is that tackling street harassment in central Brooklyn means that we can't dispose of anyone. It's already a low-income neighborhood that's under the attack of gentrification yeah. that um, when we were looking at how street harassment was being tackled in the neighborhood, what we were finding is that a lot of like young white women who weren't from the neighborhood were calling the police. And as an over-police neighborhood, um, and as and with folks who have an analysis of what policing over-policing does to our neighborhoods, we realized we couldn't in good faith tell anyone to call the cops. But at the same time, we couldn't in good faith tell people like, okay, well, don't call the cops on your brother because that's your brother, you know, or whatever. And like, he's allowed to mentally like assassinate you <laughs> for whatever reason. So with all, with all of that thinking, we said, great, like what does community accountability look like? And how can we like, what are the conversations that need to be had to actually shift this culture? Mm -hmm. So part of that was saying, okay, we men don't listen to us like a part of patriarchy a part of what makes men treat us certain ways in the street means that they don't care about our voices they don't care about our well-being um, to a certain extent so then the conversation becomes well 
who are the who do they listen to? Who are the credible messengers? And we borrowed that phrase from um, some folks that we love and work with at um, an organization called the Crown Heights Community Mediation Center. That they do violence interruption and they do violence interruption with people who are former gang gang members. And I say like largely gun violence, but but um, yeah, they they work with folks who are former gang members who are from the neighborhood who um, have been involved in violence in a lot of ways themselves. And we thought of, in terms of our work, well, we can work with men and men listen to other men and maybe men need to have conversations with other men in spaces without us Mm -hmm. where folks who are allied with us can actually start to do the process of cultural change work and cultural um, transformation. So, so that's one aspect of our work, working with male allies. And another aspect of our work, as I said, is, is developing this culture of, um, of support. So, so we had a, we've had a bunch of events where we either do chalk writing on, 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 a, on a sidewalk or we, we had like a tournament once because we were like, we want to put positive activities into the street too. Like the street should be fun for us. Um, we had the event that you were talking about where we had an improv event called Rewind where they, the concept was, uh, you know, very often, like you said, people, you'll experience harassment and then like you're, you're left with all of these negative feelings, right? All of this disappointment, all of this, um, what are the words I'm looking for? I'm like, well, how do I feel when I'm being harassed? We're left with um, disappointment, anger, frustration because we weren't able to say, you know, it doesn't come out quickly enough. Mm-hmm. So then w- the idea for Rewind was, well, we can use improv as a tool to allow people to rewind, to put yourself back in that situation and say, like, what could you or would you have said or done in that situation that would have left you with a lot less of that anger, a lot less of that resentment and frustration? So so much of our work has been how can we be creative around street harassment? How can we approach it in ways that are that are going to help people think differently about the work that we do and that are going to make people want to join and and actually have a network of folks who are protecting each other? I think it's I think it's really cool that you the way that your methodology goes is to assess the community first and what are the community needs, correct? So with that in mind, whenever you're developing what were the needs of the community or better understanding and assessing, how safe was the community feeling, like individuals within the community to come forward and talk about street harassment and being being violated or victims of, or on the opposite side, potentially those who are victimizing? Like, how do, are people feeling safe to have these conversations? Are people even identifying, like, the, have the tools to identify, oh, this is, quote, unquote, sexual harassment or street harassment and so on and so forth? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, and, and like most things, there's a spectrum, so... We have definitely had conversations with women, not a whole lot, but we've definitely had conversations with women who were like, why are you doing this? Like, whatever, I can protect myself. Um, which to us represents, you know, we, we all have levels of internalized oppression and, and there are ways in which street harassment is so entirely normalized that it is a process even for people who are harassed to recognize this is not right and that this is not something you should have to deal with. I think developing resilience doesn't mean that oppression should exist right like it's it's a, it's a consequence of oppression and um we, and we do celebrate resilience we do celebrate the ways in which we are able to be in control of our own lives to determine our own lives when we're being harassed and um we also have to recognize that it's just pretty fucking sad that we have to do some of these things mm-hmm. so so yeah so there's definitely that 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 reaction 
Um, the, the thing that I'll, I'll say is that we, particularly when we were first starting, we were doing a lot of storytelling work and a lot of work of creating spaces where people feel comfortable telling their stories. And it feels really important that people feel valid in, in their anger, in their resentment, in their shame. Uh, oftentimes you get harassed and you don't tell anyone about it. You know, like I had an incident where I got harassed and, um, like was so angry. I was like, like got out of my car and was like screaming at this guy in the middle of the street. And, and even though I felt so, I was so angry and I felt so valid and feeling angry, I felt incredibly shameful that I was standing out in the middle of the street, like screaming at people, like everyone was looking at me, you know, everyone doesn't know the context. I just like, why is she screaming at her, at him? So, um, so recognizing that we all have a bit of shame, like shame at just being harassed, right? Like, is there something that I did to make this happen? And Existing. that, like, <laughs> right. So, so when we, when we, you know, I think it's easy in this, this age of me too to be like, everybody has to tell their stories. But until you have a story to tell and, and until you understand the courage that it takes to be able to talk about your experiences and not be like completely re-traumatized, I think it's, it is it is hard to tell people that they need to tell their stories. So and we didn't, uh, we moved, I would say we do less storytelling than we did because, not because we don't think storytelling is important, but because we realize that it is these are traumatic experiences that people are reliving and people would come to our events with their trauma and our capacity to deal with people's trauma is limited mm -hmm. like we have to keep that 100 percent, and that we want to be in um, community organizing conversations about how can we change conditions and we want to be in partnership with folks who can deal with trauma i don't know i feel like for myself in the beginning i was kind of in the space of like okay like I knew now I know that it was wrong and now that you know this whole there's a whole conversation happening around gender and gender norms and you know conformity to certain standards and whatever um but in the beginning I was like I mean dudes just do that you know like that's just how dudes act like I didn't even know that it's like it was something that we were in a position to change and so um I think a lot of men feel like that's the same situation like yeah. that's just what we do that's just what mm -hmm. men do and yeah. women and it's, it's just so commonplace and we use this term throughout the, our conversations but normalize like whether it's for the women to just accept it and be those who are objectified or for the men to be the objectifiers like that is the normal conversation and that is a normal ex currency exchange within those situations I just, I mean, I have theories on like why Sri Harambasmans happens and, you know, we've been talking about masculinity for a while. And so, so obviously it's like we have our theories of how it happens and why it happens. Certainly for me as somebody who has been harassed, um, but I wonder in your work, like what do you discover are the underlying causes of harassment? Yeah, I, I apologize for being basic, but I'm just like, oh, you know, it's patriarchy, guys. Right. Like, okay. that, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, w I, I almost don't want it to be more complicated than that mm -hmm. because the reality is that these are learned behaviors. They're cultural. People have learned them through their parents. They've learned them through their friends, their cousins, their uncles. They've learned them through pop culture. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the examples, like, I'm, 
was watching a Muppet movie and Miss Piggy got harassed by construction workers and she was like singing a song it was like part of the song and I was just like this is ridiculous and we and I feel like what's like it's always highly publicized the the um the Michael Jackson um video the way you make me feel yeah, yeah. where he's very frighteningly harassing her yes and we yeah. look watching at watching that recently and I was like yeah. fuck I used to love this video now this is making me very uncomfortable ah it's crazy. he's stalking her yeah. he's yeah. stalking her and yeah. then we think about Michael Jackson right so we think about a person who has been trying who spent his entire adult life trying to affirm his masculinity and affirm his blackness and then is it shocking that he's harassing someone in this video, right? Like the the idea that this is how you can be a man. This is how, in some circles, is how you can be a black man, right? Or or because I I also don't want to talk about harassment as if it's only black men who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And there is an aspect of ma- black masculinity that says that if you like, if you can bag this chick, part of my language, <laughs> if you can, if you can bag this chick, that um. Like you're you're better at being a man and you're better at being a black man. So it is intertwined in how men see themselves, how they see their own power, and that uh, we need to get to an idea of masculinity where people, where men can see their power without having to oppress others, right? Like that they can be like, yeah, like you can totally be a man, and that doesn't mean that anyone has to be less than a man. Because it's like. It's, it's like twofold, right? It's like the notion of masculinity, patriarchy, like the performance of masculinity shows up in the way that, you know, you're allowed, you're you're basically normalizing, like harassing a human being walking down the street because you can treat her as an object because supposedly women are here for you, right? And then there's also this like notion of sport between dudes like you know um you know by my train station to your point about like who gets to bag this chick or whatever it's like there's you know the guys who are like taxi 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 it's like mm-hmm. if i'm wearing a skirt walking oh, you are eastern parkway in utica yeah mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> i've got 15 dudes asking me if i want a taxi even though i walk i will i, I will i'm there every day you know i will live down the street you know i don't need a taxi but also like the fake the fake royalty though lifting you up as a queen yeah i mean the thing that i, I really want to press here is is that like we do talk about sugar harassment largely as happening to women and that gender non-conforming folks trans men are also experiencing harassment because because the way because the the folks who are doing the harassment are trying to assert themselves as men yeah. which means that everyone that they don't deem as being a man mm. gets it, right? Mm. So it also means that when we talk about harassment, it's not just being a woman, it cuts across all of our identities. So it means that you as a black woman, you'll get queen, right? In a way that a white woman's not gonna get queen, this like fake royalty situation, right? That harassment looks different because of our identities, but is always linked to the person harassing us, affirming their masculinity. I have a question. So. Mm-hmm. What are the tools that you give men to help them like identify patriarchy in society, right? Like how do you position it to a man for them to open their eyes almost to be like, oh shit, this is what's happening. This is what I'm participating in and this is how we've made it normal. But really, fuck, this is not normal, right? Like, are there tools for that? Is there do you even yeah. frameworks for men particularly? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want to take all the credit here because we do have a group of um, male allies who are really dope and have fairly new group who's been having those conversations 
And what's dope about their group is that they have been, they've been starting with text, right? Like they've been starting with Bell Hooks, you know, the homie (laughs) who very clearly writes about black masculinity and about um, how it operates in this world that we live in. And, And oftentimes when people do want to start doing social justice work, uh, I don't know, like people want to go to rallies and stuff and, and, or they want to put on workshops and it's like, nah, we need to do political education. We need to have these conversations about like what we're talking about right now, right? What forces are at play and we need to, to do political education that starts with the self. So what does it mean to, for a man to be doing anti street harassment work, right? Like what does it mean for a man? Like what does it mean for an individual man to confront another man, right? Like we talk about that as if it's super easy, nah, but it's not, nah. right? Like you're like, nah, 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 chill. There's so many times I've right? I'm like, ah, shit. I know what I'm about to get my, ah, I'm, ah. Right. You know, you, yeah. and, you're, and you're talking about strangers, right? But there's, there's even... There's even a danger, or like I should say, there's even like an emotional danger in feeling like you need to confront your friend it's or like your a uncle. Heightened, yeah. Yeah. So the starting place, uh, which again, I just want to give props to these guys for really getting into this. The starting place is how do like what what do I need to work on, right? Like what's my internalized patriarchy and oppression? What's my starting point? What what's the work that I need to be able to do to have these conversations? And and we have like one of our members really dope dude Dame Omari McCleary, um, also like did all these interviews with men on the street in barbershops about like really just opening up the conversation of like what does street harassment look like? Um, like, how, do you do street harassment? Why do you do it? And of course, not using that language because you walk up to a dude in a barbershop and you say, like, do you do street harassment? street harassment? Yeah. So why do you harass women so, on the street? Right. Yeah, it's going to end badly. Yeah. But um, to your point, the conversation does need to be, um, to your point, the conversation does need to be around, well, what are we, like, how, how can I, how do we even build the skills to have that conversation in a way that is going to allow people to open as opposed to close? Um, so looking at the the structure, the membership structure, actually, from Brooklyn Movement Center, uh, there's two there are two ways of being a member, right? There's like the core membership, which is like when you're a core member, you're going to be at the you're the you're directly impacted by the issues that Brooklyn Mem- Brooklyn Movement Center is tackling, and so the you you as a member are going to be leading the movement. You're going to be per- the person in charge of having shit pop off, right? Then you've got the solidarity membership. And as a, as a solidarity member, it's your job to acknowledge your privilege mm-hmm. and, like, acknowledge your personal... You know, I'm juiced about this. I was like, this is such a great model. This is also such a great commercial. Like, do you... Do you, oh, <laughs> you can put me on tape. Do oh. you do promo? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I thought that was so brilliant because I was like, you know, we, you know, we had... Um, uh, Hudson Taylor from Athlete Ally on the show talking about allyship and what it looks like to be ally sh- an ally to the to the LGBT community, LGBTQ community, and you know, kind of like mapping that onto what it looks like to be an ally as a man for women, right? And you know, everybody else on the spectrum. So, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, solidarity membership, because I feel like the term ally is kind of yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't like it either. And yeah. even, and I say male allies, and we, we struggle. Like words aren't perfect, and that I mean that's something even, in no disrespects, um, 
like our, our original like theory and statement on our website mm-hmm. got mad asterisks. We like look, we're yeah, still yeah. figuring it out, and the context changes, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. twenty years ago, it was cool to be a, a white liberal, and like everybody with brown skin was African American. And now I'm like, ugh, can I please be black? Also, I hate liberals, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, words change. Mm-hmm. And and um, so we settled on solidarity because that's what feels and makes sense for us now. Mm-hmm. We're committed to our organization always being a living organization, which means nothing is ever set in stone. We can always um, accommodate what makes sense for our work. And it's dicey, right? Like, I, I, I it's great to hear how that resonates with you because – for us, it it works for us now, and it's dicey, right? So if you're a black man who is, like, from the neighborhood and you're low-income, you're a long-term resident, and you're in the, ally, in the no disrespect ally work, does that make you a solidarity member? Does it mean that you're, like, more broadly you're a core member and you're in solidarity in this working group? I mean, it brings up a lot of questions mm-hmm. because – our, it's not like our our core cons- our core constituency is intersectional, which means there's lots of room for solidarity. For like everyone can be in solidarity, and every single person has some level of privilege. If you live in America, you have the privilege of living in America mm-hmm. versus living somewhere else. And that like even being homeless in America is different from being homeless like where I'm from in Haiti. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. You know, I think we we don't need to get to a place where we think of solidarity um, or even like identities within movement work as perfect. I think the point is for us to be thoughtful and intentional and aware of what makes it difficult. So the last time I saw you, it was at Electro Positive, and I caught you at the end. We, you know, we were organizing, and you were telling me about how you were going to start these discussion groups. And we were there with Tatiana Fazaliere. Who's oh. doing her Stop Telling Women to Smile fifth yes. year anniversary? Yes. Yeah. I, I know that I couldn't be at the men only meeting. Right. It was like, yeah. Yeah. I can't be there because you ain't no man. And I, you know, and I was just like, all right, you know, whatever. And so, you know, and now it's been some time. And I just wonder, how's that going? Well, what's dope is so in April, April 8th to 14th is International Anti Street Harassment Week. Mark your calendars. Mm-hmm. And we're we're doing No Disrespect, which is the name of our anti street harassment organizing collective, mm-hmm. is doing an event, um, a self care event, a self and community care event, I should say, on um, April 14th. It's called Who Cares? Um, because sometimes it's like, who cares, right, about self-care. And really, it's a conversation and a celebration of self-care that goes beyond, I like to say, like candles and bath salts, right? Like <laughs> that that proactive and enriching adult self-care is, is not about like buying yourself a cupcake. It's about setting clear boundaries. It's about being like honest and in community with people. Um, and that we those are, those are values that we want to celebrate as lots of people have been telling their stories over the past six months publicly and we've we've all sort of been raked through the the media coals of what it means for for um the country to like wake up to sexual harassment in this meaningful way so all that said our uh, ally group is in the process of doing a couple things one is that they're going to be curating a conversation at this event which is going to be dope around like how to how do we actually talk about street harassment? How do men talk about street harassment in ways that are generative? And then, um, you know, some other things. We're, we're still in the planning process, but it's feeling really exciting to have them um, start to dip their toe a little bit into having public conversations because they've, like, 
there's a lot of work that they need to do to be able to to to, to have private conversations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean there's so many different things that you hit I think that kind of like blow things open just in terms of the way that we interact with this topic and the way that we interact with each other on this topic. I mean, I think there's like a lot of conversation around like intersectionality and like the the concept of intersectionality and I think that you know, what you and your organization are doing is like really being real about like living that and like inclusion and like making sure, yeah, like to your point, being intentional and responsible about how we're tackling these issues and understanding that of course that there's, you know, gonna be some some trial and error on the way, um, but that, you know, there's gonna be a lot of positive, positive outcomes, so. Great, so glad that you think so and thanks so much for having me on this show. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah. Like 20 years ago, I'm watching TV, I'm watching a sitcom, I'm watching some 45-minute Law & Order drama, and a woman walks by some construction workers, and they catcall her, or they say something objectifying her in a sweet way, and that's totally normal. That's completely fine. It, it pays no mind in my attention. Fast forward to 2018, and you suddenly dramatically understand that that is completely wrong. But then... That's wrong, but why? And that's wrong, and how do we heal? And that's wrong, and how do we say we're sorry? That's wrong, and you say, how do we say that is wrong, and this is why? It's so cool that there's an organization and people out there who are making it their work to support all the individuals involved, and specifically two particular communities. Communities that particularly may have not had the access or the tools previously, or having so many forces come upon their community that they don't have the space to understand themselves within all those competing forces. So again, yeah, thank you for being here and thank you for giving us all kind of the perspective to step back and look at this as an actual issue and not just not just normal. And thank God it's not normal anymore. We can we can actually have this conversation. Um so is there so I know so we've got the street harassment um um in like national week i think you said oh international anti-street harassment week yes. head to um holly curls organization stop street harassment does organizes this and so you can head to stop street harassment.org and you'll find our event listed as well as lots of others all around the world awesome um, so what's next for uh, Brooklyn Movement Center? What's next for No Disrespect? Is there anything What do you mean next? Like? Did we solve street harassment? Is that a wrap? <laughs> <laughs> like, is <laughs> white supremacy over? Let me know. Because I'm ready. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Um, actually, will you let us know where to find um, you on social media? Oh, absolutely. So you can find, first of all, visit Brooklyn Movement Center's website. We spent a lot of time on it. Very good. So. It's very informative. Yay. Yeah. So it's brooklynmovementcenter.org. And then me personally, you can find me. I'm on Twitter, um, Antonine P on Twitter. And that's pretty much where you can find me. I'm on Tumblr, but I don't tumble. I don't tweet that much either. I'm kind of corny. Yeah, but you can also find Brooklyn Movement Center on Twitter, and that's BK Movement. I mean, we're going to be posting uh, the stuff, uh, Brooklyn Movement Center's and Antonine's um, information on our social media. And of course, you can find us at Masculinity Pod with a K on Twitter and Masculinity Podcast also with a K on Facebook. Although we don't know if we're going to continue Facebook because it's on bullshit right now, but whatever oh. for right now. Bow, bow, bow. Yeah. <laughs> for now, we're there. Um, so, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please be sure to share. Uh, this is You got a lot of knowledge on how to deal with free harassment today, so make sure to share that. Okay? And if you're harassing somebody, stop. 
Um, and uh, <laughs> my name is Samantha Zessi. My name is Roy George Phillips, the first. And this has been Masculinity. Thank you for listening. Peace. Ciao.